Welcome to the Our Safe Harbor Church podcast. Here you can listen to our Sunday sermon, Monday morning message, and midweek Bible study. We hope you will consider subscribing, sharing, leaving a review, but please be sure to check out our website at www.OurSafeHarbor.com to learn more about us and find ways to get involved. Our Safe Harbor Church, we are with you wherever you are. off last week literally in the middle of a verse but we kind of had to we have time constraints here welcome we're going through the new testament in the order in which the books were written and we are in second peter chapter 2 verse 10 where we left off last time this is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desire and once again the niv will always throw in of the sinful nature it just means the desires that our bodies generate. Our bodies were created by God. Food is good. The desire for food can get out of control. Drink is good. The desire for drink can get out of control. Sex is good. On and on do we see this. Work is good. The desire for work and position and power, and all of these things can get out of hand. And so the NIV, very heavily influenced by Calvinism, will say by the divine, uh, by the, um, let's see how they put it, the sinful nature. It means just the body, the flesh. Now, of course, in some communities, every time you talk about the spirit and the flesh, it's assumed the flesh is bad. But please remember, we were made in the image of God, handmade by God. Our bodies are fine. We just need to control the appetites, put them, put them in the right place and uh, not allow any one of our appetites to outrun our brain. That's kind of important. Still, they follow the corrupt desire and despise authority. Now that's a big deal in Second Peter, as, as it really is in life, despising authority. Now I'm not a big fan of government and what government has done and what government has become, uh, not only in this country, but in any country. It tends uh, to follow the rule that we've heard all of our life that power corrupts and absolutely uh, power corrupts absolutely. Uh, it is a, um, it's a problem. You have all these layers of bureaucracy and such. However, I do not have the right to despise authority. Therefore, you know, if a president walks in the room, regardless of whether I like him or like the party, I'm going to stand up. I'm going to be respectful. And if a police officer needs my help or pulls me over, I'm going to be very polite and respectful. We do not despise authority. Now, that's not the authorities that he's talking about in this particular free and passage, though. He's talking about religious authority, God's authority. God has, has built some guardrails for us. And do we despise God? I think here it is an intentional despising, not an error in doctrine, not an error in thought, but a going against God. And basically, you know, here we go, you and you and me, God, let's fight it out in the alley, which would be a really bad idea, by the way, so don't do that. Um, think of comedians who sometimes decide it's fun to make fun of God or Jesus or Mary or um, the way that Jesus was conceived, and they make punchlines that are not only distasteful and off color, 
they lean toward blasphemy enough to where, uh, no, no, we're not going there. Or think of writers such as Richard Dawkins, who instead of just saying, here's what I believe biology teaches us, will go on long rants about how horrible God is. That's not, and, and even call religion a mental illness. You don't need to go there and to despise, um, despise authority, that's, that's not a good move when the authority is God. But we're also talking about some other authorities here. Authorities which the Jews wrote a lot about in that crucible of faith that we talked about last week. They, um, they would put levels of angels and different angels did different jobs and different angels were over different areas and certain angels or other types of spiritual beings, whether cherubim, seraphim, or the uh, Bene Elohim, you know, the sons of God, the friends of God, the Kedeshim, those were all stacked up. And Michael Heiser, who recently passed, uh, spent his career and made his career really writing in great detail about all of these things. And I'm asked repeatedly what I think of Michael Heiser, and I think it's fascinating what he wrote, but I'm not sure that it's correct, but it's still fascinating. And if you read it and it helps you order your life and your religion, then fine, that's fine. But again, I, I'm not a fan, but I'm not not a fan. I, you know, God bless him. I know he's in heaven with, with our, our savior. And I know that he's gotten a lot of people really interested in these different levels. And the Jews actually spent a lot of time, especially in that intertestamental period, refining all of these concepts. In the Old Testament, the devil barely makes uh, an appearance. You'll, you'll see him in Job, uh, just a couple of pop-ups, you'll see him in, in uh, Chronicles. But then after they'd been with the Babylonians, which comes between the Kings and the Chronicles, the retelling, they, they get the concept of the devil and of evil angels and are able then to bring that into their world and into their religion. So you're gonna see a little bit of that coming right here. Bold and arrogant, we're still in verse 10. Bold and arrogant, these men are not afraid to slander celestial beings, yet even angels, although they are stronger and more powerful, do not bring sol, uh, sol, slanderous accusations against such beings in the presence of the Lord. But these men blaspheme in matters they do not understand. Like They are like brute beasts, creatures of instinct, born only to be caught and destroyed, and like beasts, they too will perish. I, this is just a, a hammer to the head type passage. So what's going on? We don't know the entire context of the writing of Second Peter. We know the kind of world it was in, but we do know that the battle of the gods was in full force. Almighty God had come and invaded the world in the person of Christ. And Christ is Lord in a time where you would see the equivalent of billboards, these big poles up with signs and banners, writings on the on public um, walls that uh, that Caesar was Lord. Caesar was King of Kings. Caesar was God. And in every action, in interaction, in business, sports, and the like, 
you were expected to say these oaths out loud and you're you're expected to give obeisance to this and so yeah it's um it's a real problem when you're a christian and we talk a lot about that in my walk through the book of revelation which was done about a year and a half ago and you can find it and you will see you know we go from chapter one all the way through and there are also books that if you're interested you want to have backup studies on revelation just write me uh, and i'll send you some ideas all right but again what's going on here is that now god and his angels are on one team satan and his angels and the government's on that team as well satan and his angels then you're going to have to we're at war here and so there are people on the other team sadly there are some of your own team that are going to these things and ha-haing with it um, that are attacking celestial beings and god says don't don't do that jude will have something else to say about that but i'm going to save that for jude all right but he has exactly the same concept but he goes a little further in giving an illustration uh, I believe that we're not alone in this universe, and I believe that some of the things out there do not like us. They do not like God, and they want to pull us down, destroy us, and prove to God that we're not worth his love and his effort. I think that's probably what started Satan off, but again, we don't have enough information to be certain, much less dogmatic about such things. I, however, am made intensely comfortable uh, uncomfortable rather by some of the things that I've seen on television with the uh, the people that would go out demon I, I think of Ernest Angsley those of you in the 70s and 80s will have known of him if you're in the US uh, his um, very unique personality and very unique style but there were others uh, there was uh, contemporary Christian music would have people like Carmen that would go Satan bite the dust as if he was a cowboy shooting him down in the high street, which is what the video I think was supposed to be. Be careful. The angels are more powerful than we are. And Jude will bring this up in a more firm way, but here saying do not slander beings that are celestial beings in the presence of God. And we are in the presence of God, we're the temple of God for goodness sake. Instead of um, saying, Satan, I demand this, Satan, I demand that, Satan, I demand that. No, no, you, who are you? In fact, you remember the sons of Sceva found that out? Whenever they tried to use Jesus's name to throw out demons and Paul's name to throw out demons, the demons go, we know Jesus and we know Paul, but we don't know you. And they beat him up and left him naked and bleeding in the streets. It's a fascinating story. I think it's a cautionary tale. Instead, we, we talk to Jesus and ask Jesus to do things that we need for protection, for help. I think it's absolutely fine to ask Jesus to quiet the voices of evil spirits or to quiet, quiet their attacks, to build a hedge of protection around you. All of these things are absolutely fine. But acting as if Satan is worried because you walked in the room, mm, let's, let's, let's put the brakes on that one, shall we? Jesus is going to win. Let's just stick with Jesus. It is, it is possible, for example, when I go to a Nashville soccer club game, a major league soccer here in Nashville, uh, and it's possible to wear the scarves and the, and the jerseys of Nashville soccer club, 
and applaud them without booing and yelling offensive comments to the other players. I've not seen this in Nashville. Nashville's a different place. There's a, there's a certain Southern kindness and uh, give and take here that I've not found in many places, uh, even in the South. But I saw a video of a soccer game this just two or three days ago as I'm recording this, where the, an opposing player is about to make a goal kick and some player of the home team is leaning over the rails less than five feet away from them, screaming boo and, and derogatory comments. I think as a Christian, we all understand that's just not acceptable. But let me bring it into the spiritual realm. I don't have to say nasty things about the devil and his angels. I don't have to yell at them and, and insist that they follow. No, no. What I have to do is draw close to Jesus. Let him do that work. Let him be in charge of that work. So we're going to do some Monday morning messages, if they're not already done by the time I, you, you see this, where we start talking about some of these, because I, I did receive some requests. And if you do have a subject you want covered in Monday morning, uh, please let me know. Patrick at rsafeharbor.com. We'll put it on the list and get to it when we can. All right. These men that are doing this, verse 13, they will be paid back with harm for the harm they have done. It's not karma. It's just this is a just punishment for what they've done. Their idea of pleasure is to carouse in broad daylight. Now, remember, remember, we're talking about false teachers here. And so once again, as we stressed last week, it's not somebody that disagrees with you on religion. It's about somebody who is false in their heart. And look at the description. It gets ugly. It really does. Their idea of pleasure is to carouse in broad daylight and drinking, sex, gluttony, it's all, and making fun of, of God and righteousness. It's all in there. Their blots and blemishes, reveling in their pleasures while they feast with you. Hmm. Scripture says, blessed are they who do not condemn themselves by the things they approve. There are some venues we just don't go to. I would, I'd recommend. I'd recommend that there are some concerts that might not be for us. That there are some movies that might not be for us. Just think about it. These people, he says, are with you and they are feasting with you. Now that's super important to a first century Jew because you are who you eat with. You are approving them. Now, this does not stop me from going to lunch with a sex worker, an addict, a, um, an atheist. It doesn't stop me from that because I'm working with them, I'm loving on them, I'm asking what I can do for them in the name of Christ. I'm not approving of their behavior, but I'm not disapproving either. I'm letting God do that. It's one of the things that just saddens me so much is that people, they'll say, well, well we disagree. And I'll say, okay, and, and, but you need to agree with me. And I'll go, I, no, I, I don't, but that's okay. Well, not only do you have to agree with me, you have to celebrate and you have to approve of me and join in what, no, no, I really don't. Well, then you're a hater. No, only one of us is demanding something of the other person. Only one of us is demanding the other one change their behavior. 
and that's not me. I like to just talk about a Jesus story. Can we talk about a Jesus story? And that gets me in trouble with both sides, but it'll get you in trouble too. And, I'll, and we'll meet there in the middle, getting shot at from both sides and enjoy each other's company. How's that? So I'm not saying you can't go places and you can't enjoy things. I'm saying let's be very careful that we are not approving the wrong things, that we're not putting money into the pockets of people who attack our God. I'm, I'm kind of strict on that. With eyes full of adultery, they never stop sinning. They seduce the unstable. They're experts in greed and a cursed brood. Told you it's going to get rough. Yeah, and I'm sorry, but there are a whole lot of church leaders that have fallen, even in these last recent year, two year, three year, where women have risen up and saying, I was abused, I was abused, I was abused, or young boys, I was abused, I was abused. Or we find graveyards uh, where the orphans were supposed to go to learn about Jesus and they were mistreated. This has happened in Ireland, it's happened in Canada, it's happened less in the US than in Ireland and Canada, but it's happened here as well. Um, they have left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, son of Baor, who loved the wages of wickedness. But he was rebuked for his wrongdoing by a donkey, a beast without speech, who spoke with a man's voice and restrained the prophet's madness. As I've said before, do not be less intelligent than a con man's donkey. Listen to the donkey. It's smarter than you if you're a false prophet and you're going for the money. Uh, I'm paid and I, I'm taken care of by people who who love us. Many of you are involved in that because you, you support our safe harbor. You pay my salary and you pay that for our team. One other full-time member and two part-time members. Uh, we're very, very grateful. But you're, you can put money in our pocket, but you'll never put words in our mouths and you'll never remove words that are in our mouths. It's kind of like this. I, I've taught special courses for the Ohio State University for 20 plus years but I don't even own a Buckeye sweatshirt. I'm not opposed to doing that. I'm not opposed to being a rabid fan of the, of the Buckeyes. But no, I, I didn't go to school there. I just go and teach there a lot for more than two decades. And as I've always told them, I'll let you put money in my pocket, but I will not put, let you put attitudes in my heart or shirts on my back. And I think that's where ministers often lose it. And Sadly, many, many, many ministers of, uh, especially in Protestant circles, live paycheck to paycheck. And if they sincerely believe something, they don't, they can't say it or they will lose their income. Now, it's easy for somebody like me who's not in that position to judge those people, but I will not judge those people. They're in a precarious place. They have children, they need insurance. This is heartbreaking. It should not be so. And Peter here is saying, do not be the kind of people who say things for money. I get fired from speaking engagements about three times a year. Now, these are not just churches. These are also secular places that will say, wait, you're not celebrating everything we're celebrating. And I'm saying, no, but I'm not hating it either. Well, that's not enough. You're fired. Okay. Okay. It's uh, Proverbs makes it very plain. It's, it's 
much better to eat very little food and starve than it is to feast when you've traded away your honor and dignity. We're, we're supposed to be a dignified people. Take a look. These men are springs without water, mist driven by a storm, blackest darkness is reserved for them. That's that Tartarus, that dropping down that we talked about. Uh, what was that, two weeks ago now, or last week? Um, <clears throat> what's going on here? Springs without water. You go to them thinking they have water of life. They've got bread of life. And you come upon it and they're, they don't. There's nothing there to help you. It is tragic. And in Scientology, this is one of those examples. Is that L. Ron Hubbard, who made up every single thing about his life, he lied about, I, it was, it was bareback, um, you know, it was a Messiah that was a liar at every stage, who ridiculed Jesus, absolutely denigrated Jesus, denigrated Christianity. Some of the most foul things said about Jesus were said by L. Ron Hubbard. But he knew, and he was going to get you across this bridge to complete enlightenment, you'd be a super person. You could do super stuff. And then push, 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 and finally they say, we want OT8, we want OT8, that's the one that reveals everything. And when it was, the people finally had paid the hundreds of thousands of dollars to get there, it was a bust. And Hubbard himself died, lonely, paranoid, uh, deluded, and then Scientology begins to crack up. Scientology likes to act like it's a huge movement, but there are only thousands of them in each country, not even tens and hundreds of thousands, just thousands. And they're struggling because they got to the spring and there wasn't anything there. There's nothing there. They were told, by the way, later will come, you know, he's, he's written in this secret place wherever he is in the universe, you know, uh, OT nines and tens and it, it'll do it. But a lot of people, you know, fool me eight times I'm done. Um, churches have pulled the same stunt. Governments do it all the time. Vote for me, I'll fix this. When was it fixed? The scripture says these people are just like that. They're like you're in a desert and you're moving across the desert. Your water is run out. You know you only have hours to get to a place with water. And you see what looks to be an oasis and you go there and there's no water. And P the Peter or the writers here are saying, that's what these preachers are. You'll run to them. You'll give them everything. You, you will put your life in their hands and they've got nothing to give you but disappointment and pain. No wonder blackest darkness is reserved for them. For they mouth empty boastful words and by appealing to the lustful desires of sinful humans, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. And so there are people leaving error, Satan's team, trying to come to Jesus, and they're walking into these men's place instead of one of the apostles or the followers of the apostles. And so they are misled. They come to Christianity, but what they got was a false version, a false version that has um, nothing to give them but destruction. And so this is why God is so angry at them. If you want to destroy your own life, you're absolutely allowed to do that. But whenever you destroy other people's lives, whenever you grab them in and because of your lust and you appeal to their lust, you know, 
Think of the prosperity gospel. Hey, if you give me $50, God will give you 100. He'll give you 5,000. That's the way that works. So if you, and if he hasn't given it to you yet, it's because he knows you're holding out on him. You got more to give. If you don't give more, he'll never open up those storehouses of heavens. But once you do, boy, you're just gonna prosper. Your kid's teeth will be straight. It'll be wonderful. It's a lie. It's not what Jesus ever taught. And yet, appealing to your lust, these lustful people will suck you dry. They promise them freedom while they themselves are slaves of depravity. For a man is a slave to whatever has mastered him. Put that on a t-shirt. A man is a slave to whatever has mastered him. If they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and are again entangled in it, the world, and overcome, they're worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to known it and then to have known it and then to turn their backs on a sacred command that was passed on to them. Of them the proverbs are true. A dog reverse, returns to its vomit. A sow that is washed goes back to her wallowing in the mud. That's ah, pretty ugly. Told you. Told you it was going to be pretty ugly. That's the worst of the ugliness now. But it's still pretty ugly. What's it talking about? Here are people who were Christian and then have twisted Christianity for their own devices, or they were Christian and then they deserted it and ran to the other team. And the writer here is going, well, they're worse off than if they'd never known Jesus at all. Well, how's that possible if the afterlife is binary? Now, by that, I mean what many of you have been taught. Uh, the Roman Catholic Church taught it, and most Protestant churches teach it. You're either all heaven or it's all hell. Well, the Catholic churches do build in a purgatory there, but let's, it's still binary. Well, then, if we're going to hell for destroying our lives, and we're also going to hell for destroying these people's lives, how, how is it worse if I leave the faith than, how's hell worse? I've had people tell me, well, it's because as you're burning, you, you know that you, you had the opportunity to not burn. Okay, but does that make, does that mean the emotional pain makes the fire, how, how does it work? And I've had other people tell me, literally tell me, maybe the fire burns hotter there than here. Really, really, have you been around fire? Fire is terrifying, fire melts you and fire destroys flesh. And so you're in, and by the way, annihilationists have a good point when they talk about that. Um, have you ever been in a fire and thought, you know, I'm on fire, but it's not a really hot, hot fire? Seriously? Um, no, it's worse because whatever punishment comes after is not binary. It is very personally sculpted for what you have done against Almighty God. And these people are gonna be confronted with it after their death in a way that'll make their lot a lot worse than those that didn't even know about Jesus. You know, those people are gonna be, their punishment will be minor compared, uh, compared to the other. And according to Jesus, it'll be minor. And so it's just, it's just terrifying here, isn't it? Jesus talked about that in one of his harsh sayings I've seen books that do the hard sayings of Jesus. 
and there were some very hard ones. A, a young man comes and goes, I want to, I want to, I want to follow you. Let me bury my father, which was a Jewish thing that you took care of your, your dad. And then when he died, then you were able to go do your life. Uh, notice that in, when Jesus was 12, we still see Joseph. When he was 30, we don't. Sometimes, um, and, and sometimes in Jewish history, being 30 was enough for you to go off and do your own thing. But because the family was so important and the family and community were all interwoven to the point where they could be off for a couple of days and not know Jesus wasn't with them, uh, to say, well, where's Joseph? It could very well have been that Jesus was 30 and left, but Joseph had died long before, or it could be that's when Joseph died. But here's Jesus is taking his ministry. The guy goes, hey, you know, we've waited thousands of years for you to come, but let me go bury my father first. And he says, no man that has put his hand to the plow and then looks back is worthy of this. Now, that really bothered me was I was a boy. And so my father actually pointed out on a field where some men were plowing. And he says, you have to point, you have to look at a point on the other side of the field and never take your eyes off that point. Because if you do, the row will wonder. Well, I learned that actually even more by watching different people, every, everyone from having a mule draw, uh, pull a plow to these massive big um, plow, uh, tractors that have GPS and everything else and cost more than any house I'll ever own. And again, it's the same thing. If you don't keep focused, it'll wonder. They're here saying, focus, focus, focus on Christ. Don't get knocked off of that. If you have a young one going in into university, that's something which I always sit and talk to uh, those going in very, very openly saying, listen, some people go to university to, to meet people and have fun. Some people go to university to carouse in daylight and get drunk and sleep with anything that lets them catch it. Other people go to university to get the knowledge they need for the rest of their life. You cannot combine these things. You've got to decide. If you go to get the education you need for the rest of your life, by the way, pick a really good school with a really good subject, and maybe university would be even the best place for some of us. The world's gone nuts. But you keep your eyes there. It's not like you can't go to a party. It's not like you can't have a boyfriend or a girlfriend. But what it does mean is that your job is this, keep your eyes there. And let's say you get a boyfriend or a girlfriend and they say, you know, I know you have to study, but this is really important, it's my birthday. Wait a minute, if you got a big test and they're trying to pull you away from that, that means they're not entirely looking where you're looking. Focus. People ask me all the time, how do I manage all the work I do with some of the hate I get, which by the way is minimal. I get far more thank yous. Uh, and so I'm not poor pitiful me here. I'm very blessed. They ask, how can I do it? And that is because it's where I keep my eyes. It's where I focus. There are many, many, many extremely popular television programs I've not seen one episode of and, and won't. Focus changes everything. Better stop here because chapter three is going to open up a new subject, kind of. 
but going to talk to us in a way that we really need to pay attention and we've already gone past our 30 minutes. God bless you. I really look forward to picking this up next week. Cheers.